Hey, what's up, people? Welcome back to the Over in 8 Minutes podcast. I'm your host, Sam Matthews. Today, I'm joined by one of the best guests I could possibly get on. I've been trying for so long. The man who's known from Gala all the way to Hong Kong. His smile is almost twice as long as that length as well. Voice in Murray Field. Everybody's favourite man. The runner of the most popular rugby pod account. Happiness is egg-shaped. Mr. Bruce Aitchison, how are you, sir? How are you getting on? I feel like a mic drop and I'll just leave and have your shortest ever podcast. That is <laughs> that is quality introduction skills. I love that. Thank you. I learned from the best. I've been sat watching Edinburgh for five years. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Mate. No, it's a pleasure to have you on. Most important question I'm going to ask you. How are you? How are you as a person? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I'm, I'm fed up. I'm happy. I'm emotional. It's... Uh, it's a strange thing at the moment, I think is the, the best way I can sum it up. I'm desperate to see people and be part of a crowd and I want to watch sport and I want to go places and I want people to come and visit and all those things. So I'm feeling the same frustrations everybody is, but I'm also very grateful for, for what I've got. Uh, family and myself are, are healthy, touching wood as we say all these things um, and life life is generally quite good but uh, I'm done with this situation, I'm ready I'm ready to get back to seeing people and mixing with people and being places uh, I think you're preaching to the choir there, I for one am absolutely fed up, I miss I miss not having to book a table in a pub. I miss being able to go, do you want to go to the pub and not planning it for in the middle of May going, do you want to go to the pub in August? <laughs> yeah, it's um, I'm not really a pub goer, but I, I like to go to things and my kids have been dragged to cycling at the Chris Hoy Velodrome in Glasgow and we go to watch netball and we went to watch Kieran Achara's last game for the Rocks and we go to Edinburgh Rugby and we go and watch all sorts of things. So not, it, it's not being able to plan as well, having those things in your calendar, you know, the I'm still mm-hmm. old-fashioned. My wife and I still have the calendar on the kitchen wall. If it's on the calendar, then it's gospel. <laughs> uh, we should probably move on and sync some calendars electronically. But uh, when people ask me things, I say, right, can I, can I message you when I get home? Because I need to check that on the calendar. So, yeah, it's it's having those plans, uh, teachers, especially when you know when your holidays are, you tend to fill them up with things, and that's not really been possible recently. But I think we're getting there. I hope we're getting there. No, no, no I'm the exact same. Mum and Dad still keep the calendar on the wall, and I can do anything I want. I'll find it written there. <laughs> that's, how I know, that's how I know when my dad's free I don't even ask him, just check the calendar check the calendar, you know when it's your night and you know when it's wife's night and you know when the kids have to be picked up and dropped off and do all those things Yeah, it's it's the gospel in here exactly, one of the 10 extracurricular activities that they're running <laughs> oh, well, it's. I think we need to invest in a helicopter to get them from here to there and, and back again and then knowing where we're supposed to be and then you speak to each other sometimes uh when you get a chance exactly. honestly i reckon there's a i reckon there's a groove in the road between peebles and my house where my mom's driven up and down to every rugby train and every Bless yeah it's <laughs> the it's the life of being in the borders when a lot of your attractions are in edinburgh or around and yeah that's why kids are always desperate to pass their driving test in the borders because you're desperate to do it yourself <laughs> save the money on the bus fare as well yeah. half, half your money for the day out spent on the bus fare and back yeah or mum's taxi <laughs> i'm not brave enough to phone my mum when i miss the last bus i'll, I'll sooner walk <laughs> Right, Bruce, by popular demand of the fans and the quotes of this is the best part of the podcast, get to it quicker. We're going to start with the quick fire questions today. 
So I'm going to go against the grain. So it's going to be a simple, as soon as you get the idea in your head, you go with it. No okay. thinking. And then if you say something that's controversial, I'll sit there and make you digest. I'll make you, oh, what's the word? I'll make you explain yourself. And we'll All right. Out. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right. Bruce Aitchison's quick fire questions. Here we go. Simple start off. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Haggis or black pudding? Oh. <laughs> Haggis. Oh, correct. This is a personal one that me and producer Sean took great pleasure in. Lorraine Kelly or Louise Redknapp? Uh, Louise Redknapp. <laughs> We're going to get back onto that later. <laughs> I mean, you've pretty much come up and up saying pub guy, but night out or a night in? Uh, night out. Night out. Pints or cocktails? <laughs> <laughs> uh, pints. <laughs> oh, different answer to me. <laughs> Would you rather have scored a try or made a try saving tackle as a 10? I know your answer. But... <laughs> well, I hardly, I don't think I did either of those. So I'll go with score a try just to see what the feeling's like. You were the one taking the th- the big hit as you just offloaded and put somebody through. That's what we'll put it down as. <laughs> I, I don't think I even had the ball long enough to be given a big hit. <laughs> right. I'll tell you about my teacher's comments, Flinter. Uh, Gala or Edinburgh? Edinburgh. <laughs> playing or coaching playing every day of the week and three times on a Sunday <laughs> sevens or fifteens fifteens best sevens tournament in the borders gala marooned at gala in <laughs> August 21st <laughs> no plugs on this thing no, no, no plugs <laughs> no I'll be there I'll look to you there right how do you like your steak cooked it uh, used to be in the olden days, well done, but now I would say medium. We'll get, we'll convert you eventually. If it's still mooing, then it's ready to be eaten. Uh, <laughs> I don't do blood. You don't do blood? Don't do blood. Nah. Oh, you would have hated my old workplace. <laughs> uh, don't do blood. Nah. Uh, stone Cold or The Rock? The Rock. There we go, we're done. Easy as that. All we've got to do is easy as that. Right, first one we're coming back to. Why Louise Redknapp over Lorraine Kelly? Because And I want you to explain why I chose that question, because I know it, but the viewers might not know it. And you've got some great stories with those two. Uh, well, well, I don't know if I've got great stories with either of them, but uh, Louise Redknapp is from the days of Eternal and then when she went on her own, I, I still would rather she was referred to as Louise Nerding, uh, but that one really is a bit creepy. Uh, yeah, that I'm pretty sure my wife and I had an agreement way, way back in the olden days before we were married where there was the free pass. Uh, Nikki could be with Jamie and I could be with Louise. I'm pretty confident that I'm not sure that still stands or that it was ever going to happen then or now anyway. But yeah, Louise Redknapp. And then during lockdown, uh, I'm not really an Instagram person. I still don't really get it, but I spent a bit of time in Louise Redknapp's kitchen at the start of lockdown. Uh, She reenacted all sorts of videos and posted pictures of her dogs and all that kind of stuff. So, And that's something when I've spoken about or 
messaged or posted about my own mental health. Uh, it's one of the things that I referred to that life isn't always just being in Louise Redknapp's kitchen. So yeah, it's just, and it's just become one of those silly things with people who know me on social media. Um, whenever something comes up with Louise Redknapp, I tend to get tagged in it by various people uh, just to make sure that I've seen it. She is going to be in Scotland for the nine to five musical. So I, I think I was tagged in that by a good half dozen people. And then I was sent it privately on DMs and all sorts. So people tend to know how I feel about Louise Redknapp. Lorraine Kelly is an absolute nation's treasure. And during January, when there was a big fundraiser for Doddy Weir, um, Lorraine Kelly was involved and on a Thursday evening I'd got in touch with Rob Wainwright and said look I would love to do something here to raise the profile so I got in touch with Rob and said I think we could do a show every week with the captains, the vice captains, the team managers and various other people that are getting involved. So we did one with the captains, which I loved. And then there was a bit of an appetite for more. So we did it on a Thursday night and it, and it went down quite well. And I, I loved doing it. And then we got Lorraine Kelly on. She was just gold off stage before we hit record. So down to earth, so lovely. Um, and I said to her, listen, I want you can I ask you this? And she was just game for everything. So I said to her before she signed off, the next day, could she try and get happiness's egg shaped onto Lorraine? So sure enough, my phone goes bananas with people saying, she said it, she said happiness is egg shaped. And she said, I was talking to my pal Bruce last night, which obviously just gives me a big silly grin on my face because Lorraine Kelly said that I was her pal. <laughs> and she said, happiness is egg-shaped. And then Andy Peters waded in with, I think he means the song by the Seahorses, but obviously I didn't mean the song yeah. by the Seahorses. <laughs> so it was quite cool to have been on that. And then I got sent it by heaps of folk. And now that's on the intro of my own podcast, uh, which is available on Apple, Spotify, and uh, <laughs> All other places you can get your podcast. Uh, so it's it's I'm on still, the intro. I'm still in your followers. You're wasting words. Uh, there. Uh, All go the people it. here are your followers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just she's just lovely, and uh, I just like nice people. And I've met heroes before, and I've met celebrity people before, and I've left a bit empty. I try not to judge because sometimes. You might just have caught them on a bad day or, you know, just because they're celebrity doesn't mean they have to pander to everybody's want and need. So uh, I try not to, but Lorraine was just lovelier than you could have possibly imagined. And you can see why she has the talk show that she's got because she's so easy to talk to and just seems like a nice person. So if and when I, I get the chance to go and do come dine with me or any of those things, I'll be inviting Lorraine Kelly and Louise Redknapp. And Louise Redknapp. <laughs> no, Lorraine's a lot. I remember Lorraine was one of my old... Um, Germany used to skive school and you'd be forced towards daytime TV. Never, ever cool. skive school. Don't ever, don't do that, kids. That is wrong. No, I didn't skive school. But yes, I do know what you mean. Lorraine <laughs> Kelly in the morning. The daytime show is Lorraine Kelly. Yeah. That was the best one. Oh, followed, love... followed by Trisha and uh, Jeremy Kyle, and then this morning with Richard and Judy. Yeah, I remember it. Exactly. <laughs> this was it. This was last week for you. This was when you were a teacher. <laughs> no, Never I school as a pupil. <laughs> yeah, three periods. I don't know. Oh, 
I, I don't know how you find the time to do everything, Bruce. You're more up to date than me, and you've got like six different things on the go. Ah, but it's all just nonsense. It's all just nonsense. That's the best bit. You you do exactly what you do. You spread happiness, so that's not nonsense. Well, I try. I try. Although you don't see me when the laughing stops. You don't see me with the cameras off, and I become the miserable uh, evil genius that I'd like to think other people do. I can't imagine. I don't think you've ever said a bad word to anybody. Oh, you'd be except, surprised. Except, except when Kelly, except when Kelly Brown says that Melrose is better than. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, there's some lots of nice people in Melrose. <laughs> you're just you're just yet to find them. No, that's not true. There's a lot of nice people in Melrose. Hey, George, George Taylor, case in point. <laughs> Help, yeah, helped, helped me out. Yeah, he's a he's a good lad, George. He's a he's pretty down to earth guy. Rob Moffat's one of my one of my all time favourites. Uh, coming out of Melrose, lots of good folk. Katie McRae, yeah, lots of good folk. Exactly, mate. I want to talk about happiness's egg shape quickly. So it's five years old this year, and I noticed you celebrated the birthday for it. Like, so how did how did happiness's egg shape come about? Like, how did you decide I'm going to do this? Uh, nonsense social media um, my middle brother who I think regrets it bought me a t-shirt a while ago and it was a happiness is egg shaped logo yellow on a on a blue t-shirt and it was shaped like a rugby ball Mm-hmm. And I thought that was cool. And I did like the Seahorses. Uh, I've got the Seahorses album and it has Love is the Law. And then the next song on is Happiness is Egg Shaped. So I, I liked the song. I had the T-shirt. And when Facebook was still cool before people did Insta and Twitter <laughs> and that kind of thing, Facebook was I I resisted it. I didn't have MySpace or Bebo or any of those things because I didn't see the point and the reason I went on Facebook the sole reason I went on Facebook was to meet up or try and find a guy I'd played with when I played at Watsonians his name was Chris Armitage and he played on the wing Uh, brilliant guy we got on really really well and just we went our separate ways and I I went on with a purpose to to find him and I didn't see any point in having people that you saw all the time on Facebook, but then I didn't want to upset them by not having them on, and it grew and grew and grew. And as I said, I don't really go to the pub, and I tend to have an opinion on on most things, nothing that's important. I don't ask me about politics, don't ask me about a whole load of things, but um, I tended to have an opinion on things like rugby, like sport, and I would I would post a rant. Just nonsense. One of my mates who's from Peebles, actually, you might know Richard Edge. He quite often sends me a message going, I can't read your posts because they're too long. I can't be bothered. Um, <laughs> and then if he does read them, he'll post. That was actually quite good. I got to the end of that or something along those lines. <laughs> and I would, I started to sign them off with happiness is egg shaped. Mm-hmm. And people started to kind of refer to it. And then I was using my own personal Facebook to sort of do things and also try and promote myself as a bit of an after dinner speaker and I thought right I think I'd rather do this through almost a third party so I I had the happiness egg shape Facebook page that then led me to a great lady Jenny Robertson who made my website for me so Jenny helped me put all that together and put the photos on it and explained to an IT idiot how I could keep it updated and what I could do and then Twitter came along and then I got some hats and I tried to get some t-shirts and it just 
it just snowballed. And the reason it snowballed was because people quite liked it. And I liked that people liked it. It wasn't necessarily that they liked me. It was just that there was something we were sharing that they quite liked. And that gave me a bit of a buzz. Because I don't go to the pub or I don't do, I, I've got time to be on social media. And I was just trying... I'm not controversial in any way, shape or form. I don't really have a massive opinion on the politics of sport or rugby. Uh, I can see when I don't like things and I might comment on it. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to try and focus on the good stuff, the stuff that kept me going back. I've got no caps. I've got no medals. But I love the game. But the reason I love the game is because of the people in it. And I wanted to try and show that in the best light and i've posted a couple of things that i've regretted and i've taken down i sent i've sent a couple of apologies to people because i was maybe a bit insensitive not purposefully but i could see why they were a bit annoyed not necessarily snowflake not any just that was never my intention so i was happy to take stuff down and then Sean, producer Sean, who you know and love and I know and love, has been up me for about a year to do a podcast and I kept saying no. I'd, what? Who's going to listen? What am I going to do? Why would people speak to me? But off the back of working with Sean through the Doddy bit in January, I got the confidence to go for it. And mm. I was delighted when people said yes. And talking to snowballs it just grew and grew and we've just had Jim Telfer and we've had Ben Ryan and we've had Gordy Reid who was live and bonkers and Jim Hamilton was brilliant he said yeah I'll come on but I need to get on now because I'm about to go exclusive with Spotify and all these kind of things mm -hmm. so people have been really nice and really generous I've had three knockbacks three people have said they don't want to be on and that's okay that's that's fine while I'm sad that they're not they're not going to come and chat to me and and maybe use it as a way to promote goodness that's okay that's it's not for them there's absolutely no pressure but largely people have said yes or yes but not now we'll do it in future and that's been really really cool and i've absolutely loved it and i normally when i talk i see the reactions so if i speak at a club dinner or if i'm hosting something you can see the reaction and i love that i get a massive kick out of that having a podcast's a weird thing um mm. because you don't you don't get that and there are more people listening to it than are sending me comments uh there are people listening to it who have no idea who i am which is also quite strange um and i listen to if i don't listen to a lot of podcasts but when i do it tends to be if i'm going on a long journey which i don't do often anymore or i'm in the shower so i think it's quite funny that people are possibly listening to me when they're in the shower <laughs> You should just, you know, you should just in your next episode, just be like, and for you that's in the shower right now, make sure yeah. you wash your back or something. Just, yeah. just send little random things. But no, because your your podcast is incredible. Your podcast is. I've commented on your post today when you were because today you you actually posted about how you just came on this journey and you were going on about it. And I said it was a big inspiration because, as you put there, I met producer Sean through work. And he knew you and ironically he asked if i knew you and you knew me and we went no nope, we only live 20 minutes apart we've never met each other yeah and then but yeah so sean was the big inspiration behind this for me as well to message him so yeah you go you're spreading happy and so you've encouraged somebody else to sit here and like you say talk to his computer and a microphone and pray somebody's laughing on the other end of it and see that and and that's really cool like i it i don't know if i need it 
I don't like you telling me that is a really nice thing for me to hear. Like that's mm. really cool. That wasn't my intention, but what a what an awesome side effect that you decided right. I'm going to do this now. Whether it, like this doesn't need to make me money, or I'd, I'd oh I'd love it. Like don't get me wrong, I would love it to make me money, and I could this could be my job just talking to people. But it's unlikely, and it's probably the same for you. But we're doing mm. it because we enjoy it, and people listening to it enjoy it. Sean, I think, likes helping us. Uh, it's made the world a much smaller place as well. And at a time, you know, there's been a lot of luck along the way. And I'm a great believer in luck, but I'm a great believer in taking opportunities. And it's amazing how lucky you can be. And lockdown has helped because people have been needing things to listen to so they've run out of the good things like jim hamilton's one and ben ryan's one and damien hughes one so it's like right next on the list is bruce right i'll give that a go so that's but i'm i'm happy with that and and i i because i'm enjoying it it's a bit like my rugby career i've got no medals or caps but i enjoyed it uh you know i'm i'm not getting paid for doing a podcast i'm not the top of the charts but I'm enjoying it, so I'm going to keep going. And when the fun stops, I'll stop. <laughs> no, it's, it's exactly like you said. Like I, because I remember I messaged you. I think it was for your birthday, and I messaged you saying thank. Because I think it's it's like you say on, especially on social. A lot of people are so quick to comment when they don't like something, and a lot of people comment yep. when something goes wrong. Yeah. Like, and I was thinking this to myself. This was a couple of weeks before I started this, and I went, "When's the last time I messaged somebody just say, hey, that thing you did was pretty cool.'" I ask kids to do that. It tends to be at the end of term. I say to them, right, not me. Don't don't message me. But what I want you to do is to send somebody an email to say thank you. Whether that's a teacher or a, whatever it is, send somebody a message to say thank you. The other bit to it is um, my kids heard me on the phone complaining to a helpline. Mm. And... I really gave it to them and not, I, I didn't swear. I wasn't abusive. I just said how ridiculous the situation was and, uh, and they heard me and I, I didn't like that because they're not used to seeing that my kids have had a, it's been pretty, not easy. It's been, it's been nice. They've not heard daddy shout or get, that's not true because they quite often shout referee at the TV because that's what they heard <laughs> me shout on a touchline. But they've they've never seen that. And we were in a Pizza Express and the the waitress was, was going beyond what she needed to do. It was just me and the girls. And she was brilliant. She was so good. Brought them their stuff first and spoke to them and got them to create. And just, and I, I thought, right, here's a chance. I said, would it be possible to send a manager over? Mm. And the manager came over and said, listen, absolutely top drawer, uh, great service, made us feel really, and the kids witnessed me do that. And I thought that was really important. And he said, yeah, she gets a lot of comments. She is excellent, thank you. But could you put that online for me, please? Because actually there's not much I can do with it. It has to be recorded. So I did, but they didn't see that. But at least the bit mm. they saw was given praise. And you're absolutely right. Like when do people go online to give reviews? when they're hacked off yeah there's there's and like you're saying i'm going to message somebody to say well done or thank you or that was nice those are those are great things and i've had i got a message for somebody i love to bits ali little who i taught with at hoik and is from langham scotland rugby player brilliant lady mm -hmm. ali and 
I'd said during one of the Doddy things, you know, send somebody a present. And she sent me a message saying, I'm sending this to a friend of mine because you, and I thought, that's cool. Like that's, whether she was the only person that did it or there was a hundred, I don't know, but Ali told me she did it. And that's quite, that's cool. And using not necessarily influence, but just spreading that kind of positivity is is needed i think and i'm happy to do it and i enjoy doing it and i get a kick out of it when people do it to me Uh, when people are nice to me it makes me feel good so i want to be nice to other people and i I had a long chat with a kid yesterday and i was saying to him that i remember reading a story i lived in hong kong i was a teacher in hong kong and uh it was after 9 11 which is making me sound really old but it was after 9 11 and there was a lot about the world and how do we make the world a better place. And I was telling this a kid the story yesterday. I can't make the world a better place, but I can make my world a better place. And I read this story and it was in Singapore and this family had watched this old lady walk from home to the market every day and struggle with her shopping bags. So they'd put a bench outside mm-hmm. and they saw the lady have a rest on the way back with her heavy shopping bags. And I thought, that's cool. They've made the world a better place for that lady. But then what they did was they went out and they sat next to her and they heard her story and they made a connection. And on a hot day, they took out a glass of cold water with ice in it. And that is an amazing thing. They mm. made the their little bit of the world that was in their control a better place. That's cool. That's something we can all do. I can't deal with vaccinations Donald Trump, Matt Hancock, any like I can't I can't impact on that. My mm. oldest daughter's quite sensitive, hears things and watches things on the news, and she'll ask me about it. And sometimes I have to say, I, I don't know, sweetheart. I don't know. I don't know why that's the case. But what I do know is, me and you can do this, and we can make sure that Granny and Granddad are doing this, and that we're okay, and that. And if if we could have everybody looking after their own little bit. Mm-hmm. then the world would the big world would be a better place but i can't control that and that's this podcast has been interesting because somebody in honduras has listened to the happinesses podcast <laughs> like what what's that like how what who what did they get out of it like i i want to go to honduras and meet this uh, person yeah. but that's i mean that's far reaching i was just glad that somebody in selkirk had listened to it but actually <laughs> there's somebody in honduras has listened to it and i wonder what that's done i wonder if it made them smile if that was all it did then then i'm pretty chuffed with that if it made them go and put a park bench outside for the old lady that was struggling with her shopping then even better if it made them send a present to somebody they played rugby with when they lived in liverpool that's cool too so yeah, it's uh, as you're hearing. I, I love to talk, but I I get excited and I get passionate about those things. Oh, there's nothing, nothing wrong to talk. It's like um, because I like it's what you said here. Pretty much. So when I was, I started changing my life around a little bit in the past couple of years, and I remember this one quote that stuck with me. It was from um, it was around the twenty. It must have been the twenty twelve Olympics because every sporting event I have of a memory seems to revolve around the twenty twelve Olympics. And it was the it was the track cycling coach, and he went. I'm like, I need to be 10 seconds fast or I need to be a second faster or something. Like, I'm never going to find that one thing that makes me a second faster. But I know I can go away and find 10 things that make me a tenth of a second faster. 
So by the time I've done all those, I'm the second fastest. So it's like it's like you said, you do a bunch of. If everybody did a bunch of little things, it turns into one big thing. Yeah, and, and it really and is, people, it really is that simple. Yeah, people can stress a lot about those things, and I can't. And I and sometimes I do, and sometimes things make me sad that I can't control, and that's also okay. You're allowed to be sad, and that's, um, you know, you, you can cry. You can I, I, working with boys, and as I yeah. do, um, and teenage boys, I I try and communicate with them around their emotions that you can feel sad, you can cry you can be frustrated you're allowed to be angry it's oh, what it, it's what you absolutely. do with it that's then important and i speak to the boys a lot about the straw that breaks the camel's back so if somebody has heard something 10 times that day you might think it's the tiniest little thing but mm -hmm. the reaction seems to be out of proportion well the reason it's out of proportion is you probably weren't the first person to give them that bit or you've just heaped something on top of what was already a big pile of rubbish. So uh, yeah, I, my, my two big things that I speak to boys that a lot about are responsibility and kindness. And those are, those are big themes that I think cover all sorts of other things and, and teachers and, and coaches and managers and, you know, leaders in industry, they, they try and distill things. And then people say, ah, but what about this one? And that's fine. But for me, it's responsibility and kindness. And I feel like I can almost work every situation or story or, you know, um, solution back to responsibility and kindness. No, I couldn't agree. Like on the thing you talk, like, especially as you, like you say, you work with like young men and it's like, there's nothing like Sarah and I like Sam Matthews, I'm 25. I like to cry some days. Not absolutely wrong with that at all. Like it's, it's like you say, the straw breaks the camel's back. Even just saying it out loud makes a difference to some people. And emotions are emotions are tough because you can't see them, and that's mm -hmm. and the way you express an emotion, uh, the way we express emotions are different, and that then makes it difficult to read. I mean, let's uh, humans are bloody complicated. And we, we really shouldn't be if we could be honest. And that's, you know, I, sometimes I throw stats at, at classes. I've done this a lot in the time that I've been involved in the pastoral side of, of teaching as a guidance teacher, as a deputy head and as a housemaster. I'll say to kids, uh, you know, one in two of us is, you know, half of this class is going to have some form of cancer. Mm -hmm. You know, one, one in four in here are likely to be LGBTQ plus. Like mm -hmm. th the, these are, that's real. That's what it is out there. Now, some of that is not the case, but that's the world that we live in. And there are people in here who are putting on a face. They're putting on an act. There are people in here who are doing things online that they shouldn't be doing, even though you've just given me the correct answer around how you should behave online. Mm -hmm. There are, and, and the emotion is the the complex bit, the bit that makes it difficult. And emotions are so important for us to feel a sense of belonging and purpose. And, you know, we want to be loved. We want to express joy. But for that, you also have to have those moments of 
sadness because it matters to you and frustration probably because it matters to you. I think there's a difference between frustration and anger and I don't often get angry, but it, it of course it happens. And as long as that behavior is managed and, you know, we can explain it away or sometimes I have to say, sorry, you know, we, we move on and too many people are holding too many things in. Uh, and it's important that we find mechanisms to try and get these out and that people feel comfortable enough to talk about them or do them or express them or write them down or, or do whatever it is. And I, I don't have the answers and, I, and I, I'm not a mental health expert by any stretch, but I'm an expert in my own mental health. Um, and I feel like I'm close to being an expert with the people around me. And that's one of the bits about the job I do. And, and having been a teacher, I'm not the best teacher. I'm not the best coach by any stretch. Technically, you could dazzle me with all sorts of things. But my strength is I kind of get people. I can read emotion. I think I'm quite good at motivating people. Uh, I'm completely disorganized. If I was to move the camera and you saw my desk, you would think, what the hell you do? But people is the bit I'm I'm best at and, and the bit I enjoy the most. And uh, well, that's arguably the most difficult part. Like you say, anybody can, anybody can do drills or anybody can write down what they've been told in the textbook, but not every, nobody can inspire everybody. You, you inspire a lot more people than most of the great coaches. So, well, and, and it, it, it's an interesting one because the some of the some of the people I've worked with, I, when I became a head coach, I was absolutely desperate to be a head coach because mm -hmm. I've always been critical. I don't mean that as a negative. I've always thought I liked that, I loved that. I wouldn't do it like that. I would change that. And when I became a head coach, I was just like yeah, I'm ready. I'm going to do everything. And actually I needed to go through that to become a better head coach because I, I, I was a pain in the tonsils to the players and everybody, because I was trying to I think the, the term now is micromanage. Like I wanted to do everything and have everything sorted. Whereas actually what I needed to realize was there was people in front of me as an amateur coach who had, been at work and rugby was their hobby and you know they were giving up some time to come and do it and as I as I became a coach the longer I was a coach I, I had moments where I thought there's 55 guys here who are all waiting for me to blow the whistle mm -hmm. that's crazy power to have unbelievable power to have but then I come to those two things that I've now realized are the two things I think are important which are responsibility and kindness I was responsible to give those people the best experience they could in the time they were given up to come to train and to play but I didn't know that at the beginning of being a head coach uh, they were there to serve me Mm -hmm. They were there because I wanted to be a professional head coach and they had to do what I was asking them to do because that was what was going to be the best and that was what was going to make us win. And it took me a while to realize what was the most important thing dealing with people in, in that position. <laughs> Mate, it's, uh, it's exactly like you said. I remember so um, a complete a complete different sidetrack, but it's, it's quite similar as how you were talking about uh, amateur rugby. I remember, so my first ever adult team I played for was uh, down in Walkerburn because I'd, I'd fallen out of the game. And um, one of my, you might know his dad, actually, a friend of mine, Stephen Irvin. His dad's Pete Irvin. 
Dwayne, uh, so. uh, he's famous. He's famous for all the right and all the the best reasons. He's he's like, but he. I remember he invited me down. And he was like, "Come to Walkerburn, and you'll never, you'll never look at rugby the same way again." And he's like, "I don't know. I don't know your experiences with Walkerburn. I hope you've been to the Prince well, of the Sevens tournament walk, at one point." Walkerburn, but... we when I was with a charity team called the Pigbarians, we went down for Walkerburn's. What would it be? Hundredth. Hundred for a celebration game, and we played them on the Friday night. And I think I think they had about forty boys to choose from. Yet the following day, they couldn't raise fifteen for their league game. <laughs> but we we had a they were, it was reasonably star studded. We had some quality boys in there, and we kicked off. And Walkerburn knocked on, and we got a scrum on the right hand side of the pitch at Walkerburn playing towards Peebles. I'll never forget this. The ball mm-hmm. comes out of scrum and it comes to me at standoff and I throw it straight to Scott Hastings, who's at 13. You Scott, took Scott Hastings to a walk-up yeah, rugby game. Scott, <laughs> Scott threw it straight to Rory Cooper, who was on the left wing, who is mm-hmm. Borough Muir's all-time top try scorer, played for seven, uh, played sevens for Scotland. Brilliant guy, Coops. Throws it straight to Coops and Coops runs and scores in the corner. And as Coops dots it down, the Walkerburn 12 smacks Scott Hastings like <laughs> three and a half weeks after he's passed the ball. But he was able to say he hit Scott Hastings. But honestly, it was like the ref could never have seen it because the play had gone. <laughs> and Scott sort of dusted himself down as he gets up. And I was just laughing because I just wanted to applaud the boy because he just put a late smash on a British Lion. Now, Walkerburn... But that's it. Walkerburn was full of people playing because they loved playing and mm-hmm. they just want that's, you know, to me, rugby is my social event. So I say I don't go to the pub, but I would happily go to a rugby clubhouse. I'd go to training. Mm-hmm. I would, when I, when I played, uh, sorry, when I coached at Borough Muir, uh, it was some of the happiest, but some of the, uh, I don't know what the word is. There was, there was some challenges, but when I was coaching, I was coaching with Steve Bates, who had been Newcastle Falcons, the Borders. Um, Batesy was an assistant coach, and Ben Fisher, who's now in New Zealand working for New Zealand Rugby Union, but a Boromir legend. So I was head coach with Fish and Batesy, and we would finish training, and the two of us would stand, or sorry, the three of us would stand in the middle of a pitch at Megaland for ages. And sometimes it was so cold and so wet we would just stand and chew the fat after training about serious stuff, about nonsense, about players, about game, about Scotland, about Scottish rugby, about what. And that was like, I'd get home at silly o'clock and it's mm-hmm. hard to explain what, like, what were you doing? Uh, we were just talking. Yeah. We were, yeah, I, I there was no, yeah. there was no real purpose to it. Like it was, it didn't, necessarily make us a better team or club or coaches but it was what we wanted and needed was that social interaction and uh i want my my assistant coaches have often been for the period of time i've worked with them my absolute best mates ian jeffrey mm-hmm. who was with me at murrayfield wanderers and a bit of Boromir, who's from leith but played with selkirk and whenever md heard you're working with ian jeffrey he was a dirty little bit because Jeffers was at a time where the hooker was small and mad. Uh, Cakes <laughs> Robertson, who's now living in Dubai, Cakes was with me at, at Murrayfield Wanderers and 
we were speaking to each other three, four, five times a day. We, you know, we were at training. We spent so my assistant coaches over the period, and I've had a lot of clubs and a lot of coaches because I'm probably difficult to work with. Uh, <laughs> but those we've built unbelievable bonds and shared experiences that you know change it. The thing I miss while I said playing when you asked your quick fire question, the thing I miss about playing is the changing room. That's you can't you can't replicate that anywhere the changing room and mm -hmm. as a coach with uh, with cakes and roops uh, uh, Rupeni, my mate my fijian mate who's on the wall behind me here <laughs> he's now back in fiji we took in turns before games we'd always have a can of coke because i love coke it's my I, i'm i'll never give up full fat coke but the three of us we'd always have a coke together and mm -hmm. we would take it in turns to go and buy the cokes and that's not really for social media. It doesn't really mean anything to anybody. And obviously it wasn't the Coke that was important. It's a bit like when you say it someday, I'll meet you for coffee. Actually, the coffee, well, to me, the coffee is not what's important. The, the chat mm -hmm. is the what's important. The can of Coke was just that little symbol that for the time the boys were on their own, we were on our own in our little changing room with our can of Coke chewing the fat. And that's, those are bits I I can't find anywhere else. You don't get those in a staff room. You don't get those, you know, when you just bump the, those changing room moments are worth more than money. Mm -hmm. No, I completely, God, you're making me, you're making me really miss rugby. <laughs> and, and I do. And I would I like, that's, I can remember being at gala as a, just out of school thought, you know, I was destined for glory and there would be guys in their mid twenties giving up the game. And I think what, like what's going on? How, how can you do that? But mm -hmm. I get it. Life moves on. Priorities change injury. You know, at the time I was coming out of school, the game was going through that weird thing of amateur and professional and people didn't really know what it was and it, and it changed the game forever. And, but I looked at them and I thought, I hope that's never me. But I've I've had some pretty dark moments when I came back from Hong Kong and I wasn't able to play because of a wrecked knee and I was coaching at Dundee, but I was working at a school mm -hmm. in, in Alloa, Lawrence Hill Academy, which I loved. And it's funny because Grant Gilchrist was there, Sean Kennedy was there, Glenn Bryce and Stuart Edwards were at Alloa Academy. So to have a 15, we joined with Alloa Academy. And those were those were really great moments and the thing i really wanted for those boys i didn't i wasn't interested in boys going to play for scotland i mean no disrespect to grant and sean and, and brycey and i had no idea what they were going to go on and do that wasn't my purpose my purpose was i wanted these boys to love rugby as as much as i did and it was mm -hmm. just awesome and i wanted them to see how good it was and how much i enjoyed being involved and i wanted them to have that thrill and keep going, whether they were going to become Grant Gilchrist and play for Scotland or whether they were going to keep playing for Alloa or Hillfoots or County, if they were, you know, if mm -hmm. they got the chance to go to County. And I just, and I loved that. And that was cool. But I remember we were in the Scottish Cup and I think we played, I think Alec Dunbar's school. I think he came up and we did all right, but he was playing the centre and, and did brilliantly and, and they beat us. And I refereed the game. I couldn't get a referee. And I didn't have my qualifications then, but I refereed the game. And the teacher from their school came up and went, are you a referee? I said, no. He went, 
you were you were really really good like your communication was clear you were consistent and i thought wow and i went home and i said to my wife uh you know he said i was a i might i might take up refereeing and she went well you'd be good at it because you know everything about the game and you're a complete <laughs> you're allowed, you're allowed like, to swear for the record. Uh, you're to swear. And, uh, and I thought, all oh, right, so that's how dark I got at one point. I considered becoming a referee. <laughs> I, I I learned everything I know about rugby from a referee, so I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, yeah, but he was a very good player first. He was he, a very good player. He he does remind me often that Gregor Townsend used to wash his boots, so that's yeah. what he used to tell me. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not sure about that one, but he was a very good player. Oh no, uh, I, I, I don't know. I won't. I won't say his name in case he doesn't want it said. But and yeah. Andy's from Stow, which is the center of the universe. The people from Stow. <laughs> yeah, it's the best place in the world. I'll be honest with you. I don't venture to Stow very often. It's because it's because you're not allowed to. We don't let people like you in. <laughs> Ross Ross Ford now lives there, but he had to apply and go through quite a rigorous <laughs> process to be allowed to buy property in Stow. I'm visioning a wee X Factor sort of panel with you. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's not me. I'm I'm not allowed. I flew the coop. It's my old man. It's my old man. <laughs> anyway, mate, I want to talk about Hong Kong because Hong Kong is fast becoming one of the centres of rugby in the world. What's it like living in Hong Kong and playing rugby in Hong Kong? Uh, unfortunately, it's probably now a very different place. It's I'm sad watching the news about some of what's going on there. Uh, my one of my good good mates, Robbie McRobbie, uh, who's an Edinburgh man. <laughs> That's a he's, brilliant name as well. Oh, yes, he he's class, <laughs> Robbie McRobbie. Uh, he's the CEO of the Hong Kong Rugby Union and mm. a, a fantastic guy. He went out to join the police when Hong Kong still belonged to to Great Britain and he went out but he says he was a terrible copper and then he got into managing things and he's he's now works for the rugby union and when I went to Hong Kong some of it was because um we were I was a bit fed up here uh, a couple of things and and my wife had she played hockey very good hockey player and was playing for Edinburgh Uni at hockey and the lecturer who was also the hockey coach had said she he had gone out to Hong Kong to do various things and he had a contact there so every year almost he would send out qualified PE teachers to work for a coaching company called Multisport which if anybody from Hong Kong listens it'll it'll make them chuckle uh, <laughs> we went out teachers would go out and work for multi-sport but the gig was really you went for a year and then you found a job in an international school so there was a conveyor belt there was always a need for for PE teachers and the guy who ran it Pierre Steinberg who was mad as a box of frogs he part of his thing was he didn't employ coaches he employed qualified teachers and that helped with getting people through the door so I went for a job interview at a school called Rannoch, which is no longer with us. Tom Smith went to Rannoch um, mm -hmm. and it closed down. I went for a job interview there. Uh, I went up north with a mate of mine and the old brick of a phone I had had no reception. And when I came back after that weekend, my phone beeped with three messages. One was my mum saying my grandmother had died. One was from Nikki saying we've got the chance of going to Hong Kong. And one was Rannick School pretty much offering me the job, but they wanted me to go back and see them. So I phoned oh, wow. my mum, dealt with that, phoned Nikki, said, what's the story? She told me the story. I went, right, let's go. And she went, what if? I went, doesn't matter. It's not Hong Kong. And I phoned Rannick and they said, look, we'd like you. And I said, look, I, I've just been offered this it's too good to turn down and they sort of wish me well 
and away we went to Hong Kong, not really having a clue what we were going to. <laughs> we arrived in Hong Kong. It got picked up by somebody we never met again in the next four years that we lived there. Um, I was delighted because she couldn't work out how to find our the place we were staying. And she took the wrong turn and went past Hong Kong Stadium. Mm-hmm. So I was just like a wee boy pinned up against the window looking <laughs> at Hong Kong Stadium with my tongue hanging out going, that's where they have the Simmons! And just just loved it. I turned up at my club, so I'd hooked up with Kowloon Rugby Club, mm-hmm. who have been brilliant to me. And I, when I went to the Lions game at Murrayfield, uh, we had a bit of Kowloon reunion. There was a few guys up and we, we met up and it, it was just gold. And I turned up my first training session and it was a an outdoor bleep test in 30 odd degree heat and whatever the humidity was and this wee pasty skinned kid from Stow turns up and it was just and they said look we don't want you to go too hard so believe it or not I could get to level 10 without much effort so I got to level 10 and I dropped out and they were like yeah yeah just look after yourself just look after yourself and I'm like a puddle on the floor (laughs) and then we played our first game against hong kong football club hong kong football club are kind of a mixture of heriots and melrose uh and we (laughs) we were kind of the we were the poor relatives and i had no idea any of this and i turned up and it was qualification for asia not europe qualification for asia so they decided they were going to run this asian tournament and i think the top two teams from hong kong qualified and football club were one of the two best teams there's valley and there's a football club who are the two sort of big clubs historic big clubs in hong kong we turn up i have no idea who they are everything i touch turned to gold like and we had that was the strongest team we fielded that whole year i dropped a goal um i kicked everything life seemed pretty good but i was so hot so i was exhausted after but we beat club and everybody was going nuts and as it, so this is this is quite a big deal. We then get showered after the game. And you know what it's like trying to cool down after you've been hot, humid, playing in the summer. And mm-hmm. I just figure coming from here that after the match, you put on your brown brogues and your chinos and a shirt and you're like, no, no, no. Hong Kong air thong, you know, sliders, shorts mm-hmm. on, vest. And I'm so I am sweating buckets. And then we get to the Irish pub after for the aftermatch. And, you know, I'm now cold because the sweat has now cooled. <laughs> and guys are going to be, where are you going? What are you wearing? I was like, well, I just thought this was the aftermatch. Yeah. And it was a big deal. We then never won another game that season. Mm-hmm. We got absolutely pumped every single, sometimes we were <laughs> pulling boys out the bar to come and play for us. But they were so kind to me and made me feel belonging to Hong Kong. And Hong Kong taught me a lot. And the biggest lesson, and when people say to me, what was Hong Kong like? I, to me, it was a land of opportunity. And the reason it was a land of opportunity was I pretty much said yes to everything. Whenever somebody mm-hmm. gave me the chance, whether it was going on a boat, a junk boat on a Sunday for picnic and a beers, yeah, and then you meet people who meet people who meet people. If it was, I got to coach the Hong Kong under 16s, not really knowing what it was. Turns out the sevens get to play on the morning of the sevens, so you get a free pass to the sevens all weekend. Uh, <laughs> the Hong Kong sevens, eh, sorry, the Hong Kong age groups are the 
they were the union that travelled. So mm -hmm. the first year I was there, I was or coaching them. I was supposed to go to Sri Lanka, but the tour got called off because of SARS, something similar to this that we're experiencing just now. The next year we went to Bangkok, Doha, and uh, Dubai. Wow. With the under sixteen team, uh, with Hong Kong, I went and did out. I did all sorts, and I just pretty much said yes to everything. And the people I met, I was playing with local Chinese guys who had picked up the game through some kind of program in their high school. With the guy who was running HSBC, with Cathay Pilots, with school teachers like me, with and it was it was a big melting pot. And the thing I saw there here the experience I had of rugby, people missed their work to go to training or people missed their work to play games. Whereas in Hong Kong, people weren't there to play rugby. People were there pretty much because they were doing something professionally. So mm -hmm. your team would change from week to week because somebody might be overseas working or, you know, they had this or that going on. So I realized then that maybe winning wasn't actually what was the most important thing. It was enjoying what you did. And, and I wanted to play for Hong Kong and I did not in a cap international. And then I completely wrecked my knee. I needed to get an operation, which was tough. And as it turned out, that was when we left Hong Kong and came back to the UK. But Hong Kong was a place that a, you know, a wee boy for style, a village of 500 folk. My primary school had 60 kids in it. And I went to Hong Kong and just loved it. And I got to go back in January 2020, just before this thing, this mm -hmm. world kicked off. And I was walking around with a big grin on my face. I was so happy to be back. I felt so confident, so safe. I was bumping into people and they're going, what, you know, what, I thought you'd left. And, and it was just so welcoming because the expat community has to be because otherwise mm -hmm. you, you wouldn't last very long and people like to have familiar things around them so you look after your own so the Scottish community in Hong Kong was unreal and guys like John the Bruce was just so kind to me Paul Mallon uh, who looked after me at Kowloon Chris Marin and Fridge who were Cathay pilots my best mate Yid from uh, Kelso came over I, I was his best man at his wedding in New Zealand mm -hmm. so the connections that I made in Hong Kong haven't haven't put me on a career path or any of that they've just brought me so so much in social interaction opportunities looking after me being kind to me telling me wind my neck in you know building me up as mates do knocking each other down but always with immense love for each other because we found ourselves mm -hmm. in the same place at the same time kind of having the same experience and i i try and get people to realize how important that is if i could if I could change education, part of it would be that for two years after school, everybody has to disappear or after uni, everybody has to go somewhere and do something. Because I then came back as a 25-year-old teacher, mm -hmm. uh, a bit more worldly wise. I would hate to think mature, but probably able to cope with things. If I'd been a PE teacher at 21, I'm not sure I would have been a PE teacher at 23. But because mm -hmm. I went to Hong Kong and came back at 25, I was ready for a lot more. I was I was a bit more battle-hardened and emotionally able to cope with my own stuff, the kids' stuff, teacher stuff, mm 
being told what to do and where to be and, you know, taking on a bit more responsibility. So Hong Kong absolutely shaped me. Still love it. Still love speaking to people from Hong Kong. Desperate to take my kids. Really, really desperate mm -hmm. to take my kids. It's changed from when I was there, as, as places do. I left in 2005. So I've been away for a long time, but it still feels pretty close to home. Mm -hmm. No, I I loved Hong Kong. I only got to go for a it was like a four day um, flyover, you know, for obviously the tour in twenty seventeen. So we stayed there, and I honest, I it was one of my favorite parts of the whole trip was those four days there. It's we not were, um, it's not yeah. somewhere I would have gone on holiday. Um, mm -hmm. I would have gone for the sevens, but it's not, and I've never had the chance to stop over there, and it's never somewhere I would have thought of. Whereas now. I could happily go for six months and, and I'd, mm -hmm. I'd be like a pig in muck. I'd, I'd love to. We went and um, it's one of our favourite stories to tell, you know, like the family parties when you tell stuff like that and we go, do you remember that time? And we couldn't fight. And do you remember, you know, those little books you get in like all the Waterstones and places like that and it's like top 20 inside of things to do in Hong yeah, Kong. Yeah. And we went to one and we couldn't find this restaurant for love nor money and we thought we'd found it. And to what this day I'm convinced is just some little Hong Kong woman's kitchen and she's just not had the heart to tell people to stop coming in. And we went in and I just I took one look at the menu and I was trying I was trying to be vegetarian before going to New Zealand, which was a brave choice. And I opened the menu and there wasn't a lick of English. And obviously, like I couldn't I just went and we looked at the woman and there was this one guy there that managed to speak a bit of English and we just went, Whatever's popular, we'll eat that and we'll just pay for it. And this woman just brought out this feast for us. And she was like so happy to just see like people that had clearly never seen Hong Kong before. And she was just like, no, you're having this, you're having that, you're having that. And it was it was so much fun. I'd love to go back for it. Like, I'd, I'd love to go with somebody who knows the place. Yeah. Think, oh, uh, this cool. is where you're going. We, when my older brother came um, and he he wanted to eat out every night. So he was staying with us. So he wasn't paying accommodation. So he'd pretty much decided, right, we're eating out every night. And he'd picked in a lonely planet or a whatever it is, rough guide. He'd picked where he wanted to go. So the first night we took him to the place that was our first meal out, uh, the American Peking on Lockhart Road, which is now closed, which breaks my heart. But that we took everyone there. Whenever people came into town, we took people there. And it was the first meal we had. And it was the last we went back there before we got on the plane to leave for good. We went there for our last supper. But my brother had us, we were all over the place trying to find this. <laughs> like, it, it must be here somewhere. Yeah. Turned out the building had been bulldozed. <laughs> so the, the restaurant wasn't there. So we ended up taking them to the Mongolian barbecue that we, mm -hmm. we'd found. But yeah, at Hong Kong, the, the food there, if you're brave, it's amazing um, mm -hmm. if you're willing to go and try things. I, I drew the line at the chicken feet. I wasn't a fan of chicken feet. Oh, no, you've got to try this stuff. Um, the place I used to work, our specialty was chicken hearts. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'll go with that. I'll go with that, it's, but the chicken it's not feet. The feet no. I, would, I liked my party, or not party trick, but when you we used to go to Lama Island or Chung Chow, some of the islands, and you got all the seafood, and they would mm. always serve the fish with the eye. But the eye mm. was supposedly a delicacy. But to us idiots who were just young and drinking big bottles of beer and throwing peanuts at each other, it was the big gag to eat the eye. Yeah. So I, that's what I used to do was eat the eyeball. <laughs> Oh, man, I'll try it. I'll, I love my food. I'll try anything. Like, there's no, like, somebody's cooking it for a reason. It's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and Chinese food here is is not Chinese food in Hong Kong. Yeah. Oh, no. It's, yeah, it's, exactly it's, a, it's a very different thing. 
What was that? What was that Kevin Bridges joke? Where's the yelly stuff? <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to move on. I want to ask you about hosting and being the voice of Murrayfield because that's where I've I met you from. Is where I, I heard your voice from, and then it's when I put the two and two together and went, "You must know the guy that voices Murrayfield to produce for Sean." He went, "Yeah, he's one of my best mates." Yeah, so it's how uh, did that come about hosting? Being, uh, just being, a host, being a host in the after dinner speaker. How did that all come about? Well. I've I've always wanted to be an after dinner speaker. Um, when I was a kid in, in at Gala Academy, my best mate Pete Coburn, um, his dad was a Gala YM man, and Gala YM had the big dinners in Gala when I was a kid. So the volunteer hall, which is right in the middle of Gala, seats I don't know three hundred and more people, and Gala YM would have these big proper rugby dinners with you know rows and rows of tables and then a big top table at the top of the hall and Mm -hmm. kids like me because of pete pete would get his mates to be the glass collectors oh i I know those like uh, we do them at the time festivals the rugby boys used to do the built-in yeah yeah no that's Mm -hmm. exactly it so we and then you got great tips at the end because everybody after they'd had their kitty just gave you what was left and you split that and at the end of the night you got a pint pint or a couple of pints and (laughs) it was just but the thing i loved was standing listening to these guys up the front hold court of all of those and make them laugh and I, I just always thought I'd love to do that. Like I would, as you can guess, I would love to have been a stand-up comedian or a presenter or a something. And mm-hmm. but I watched these guys and I thought they are amazing. I just loved it and ridiculous. And they were rude, but they'd some of them had caps and some of them were British lions. And I just I would love to do that. And when I was in Hong Kong, because I said yes to things, I got to do bits and pieces of hosting and because they were always looking for people who were available and free that tended to be me <laughs> so I volunteered for things and I look back on it now and I think god I would it would have been hopeless one of the first things I had to do was with Joe Bugner um, mm-hmm. and Joe Bugner made fun of my first name being really short <laughs> and I was like hang on Bruce Joe, and it's like the whole place just exploded. And I thought Joe Bugner was going to knock me out. Um, and a guy came up to me at the Sevens and was like, "You're the guy that took the Mickey of Joe Bugner." And I was like, "Oh no!" But it, that was that was quite cool. And then I came home, and you know, Gala Red Triangle did a dinner so for their under-16 team and I went and did that and I think I did the Wanderers under-18 and then I got asked about that and I did a burn Supper and I did, and I just, I said yes. Oh, you, you, you'd be magical much. at Ode Haggis. I'd love to see you do No, O-Tia-Hagis. see, I can't, I can't, I do Toast to the Lassies but I need to, <laughs> I need to do the Address the Haggis. I'd love to do Tam O'Shanter. I just need to put some time into it because I would love to be able to do that because that's another mm. one that I've seen people do and thought, I'd like to do that. Actually, the first Burn Supper I ever went to, I was speaking at. I'd never been to Burn <laughs> Supper, and then I got asked to do the Toast to the Lassies. But those were, I just said yes to everything, and I was always of the feeling that, well, I probably thought I was doing okay, but actually I needed all those to become anything like better. And then mm-hmm. uh, I started to get asked to do that rugby club, and then this rugby club, and I, and I just loved it. And I loved it because... I was. It's not like stand up where 
that's what you're there to do. It's you're there to talk. And, and because those people tend to be people who are, they know where you're coming from and they're not necessarily there. There has been heckles, but not many. Um, they tend to be there to have fun. So they've already bought into the fact that you're here to entertain me. So I'm going to, I'm going to get on board with that. So I love that feeling in that atmosphere. And then um, things started to, to pick up and I started to get more dinners and I was spending quite a lot of like April to June speaking Friday nights, Saturday nights. And I, and I just loved it. And I loved meeting people and I bumped into, you know, I'd been a rugby club and guys would come up that I'd played with or against, or they, we all shared, we all knew somebody that knew somebody. And I, I just felt such a sense of belonging and I loved talking. And then I, I, I think I started <laughs> to get better. There was things I said and I now regret. Um, but I didn't realize it at the time. And now I think I'm, mm-hmm. I'm probably a bit more not polished because I'm, I'm not uh, Scotty Glynn, who's a big, big hero of mine. Um, Scotty Glynn was a professional after dinner speaker for the pans. Uh, just <laughs> an amazing guy raised heaps of money for charity. Sadly died a few years ago and a couple of years ago. And, uh, I really miss him. He's actually up here. He's looking over me. I've got a picture of him up here, and he's he's watching me now. A big toothy grin, uh, a toothless grin, I should say, watching me. <laughs> and Scotty kept saying to me, "You need to lose the cards. You need to lose the card because I always have cue cards with just a mm. little bit on them to remind me." I said, "Scotty, I can't." He's like, "What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? Just get rid of them. Just get rid of them." And I've never done it. And whenever I whenever I speak. I'll get a wee bit now, a wee bit emotional because I'm thinking about him because he he, he gave me chances at dinners. And one of the best things that I would get would be a phone call and it would be, hello, is that Bruce? Yeah, it's this guy from this place. Scotty Glynn said that I should get you to speak at our dinner. Like I would grow 10 feet tall mm-hmm. because getting Scotty Glynn's after dinner stamp of approval was the best and i've i've spoken with professional after dinner speakers and sometimes i i didn't like that because they do actually have a connection with the people they're speaking to and um, mm-hmm. but they're good and they're funny but they're they're not for me i've heard international rugby players who have are great and can tell stories about being international rugby players but i can't do that so I can tell stories that the people who are sitting there listening to kind of get because they've possibly been in the same situation. And I've had guys come up to me going, I know that story because my mate was that those are those are the wee magical moments that that keep you going. So I've still not answered your question yet. So what <laughs> uh, I was coaching. I forgot we were on a podcast. I've just been listening uh, to you for an uh, hour. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We, Don't ever apologize for being funny. Don't ever apologize we, uh, for being funny. I, I was coaching and I love coaching. I love Clubland, but um, I got caught a wee bit in career and I was having to commute. I was living in Edinburgh. I've got two kids, uh, you know, other things to be doing, but I was working in Hoik. So I was, I was mm-hmm. bushed and I couldn't commit to club coaching and I had to make the decision. I, I'd got the chance to be a deputy head teacher and I, I wanted to do it and I love Hoik and I'd been at Hoik as a head of PE and I, and I want, I felt I could, I could help it get better and I wanted to do it, uh, but it meant that I couldn't do club coaching. So that I was sad about that. But what I could do was something that didn't have necessarily the responsibility. So at the time, Johnny Petrie was the CEO of Edinburgh Rugby and 
I know Johnny kinda, and a coach at Dundee. I actually know his old man better than I know Johnny because his old man used to do the car park at Dundee High School, and we'd be in the bar after game. Great, got brilliant, proper salt there, clubland legend. And I got in touch with Johnny, and I, was, I just I said, look, I've I'm not going to have a club commitment. I live at the back of Murrayfield. I'll be at the games mostly anyway. If there's anything that I can do, let me know. Within no time at all, I was in his office having a chat with him and a great guy, Stuart Martin, Mm -hmm. who are both now at Ulster. Uh, And they said, Johnny had this list of things. And he was like, can you do this? Can you do this? I was like, listen, Johnny, I'll do any of it. I'll do none of it. Um, I'd love to be involved. I've got a lot of enthusiasm for the place. I'll probably be here anyway like you decide what you want me to do so it got kind of brought into a bit of sharper focus but they were trying to make a change to the match day experience and they'd brought in Callum Gallagher from fourth one who I love Mm -hmm. and is a fantastic brilliant DJ real pro funny Mm -hmm. daft wee raj but I love him a bit (laughs) and we get on really he's been really kind to me and Barry Wilkins who's uh, the Hibs stadium announcer so we got on well Mm -hmm. but Baz now is no Edinburgh because he's got so much going on so Callum and I were doing it so they the idea was they did all the the decent stuff, but they didn't know anything about rugby. So when the whistle went, I took over because I knew that Duan van der Merwe was wearing number 11 and that uh, Munster did this and this was a try. And and I loved that, but I, I had to be at Murrayfield for the briefing. So I had to be at Murrayfield two and a half hours before kickoff. So mm-hmm. I've got two and a half hours. So for me, that was great because I spoke to the TV guys and the photographers and I went and got a cup of coffee and the media bit and I just, I just annoyed everybody. So I said to Edinburgh, listen, how about I get folk and I do an interview in the clubhouse beforehand? Because I'm here anyway. I might as well yeah. do that. So, all oh, right. Okay. So we set that up. So I started to interview. So obviously guys who weren't playing. So I interviewed them before. And then it got to, I got a little bit more responsibility. So I got to interview the mascots on the touchline and the charity and, you know, uh, some of the non-players. We did that in the bowl and that was quite cool. And then, I did, and then it was like, right, after the game, I'll interview players off the pitch. So they would bring a player off the pitch and I would do an interview and then attend, uh, I maybe got cockers as well. And then I started to take them into the business club and stuff. And it all just came from me saying, listen, can I have a microphone, please? <laughs> and they were kind of quite happy. And be- the thing I've always said about the stuff I do at Edinburgh and at, at Murrayfield, I'm just a supporter with a microphone. I'm not I'm not Doogie Vipond. I'm not Ailey Barber. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just a supporter with a microphone. And people quite like my enthusiasm. And uh, I've got in trouble for a couple of things. I said when Tommy Seymour, when I got to do Scotland games, so my first Scotland mm-hmm. game was Fiji uh, Autumn Test, which I was buzzing about because I love Fiji. And Bill Mata scored, and I did my Edinburgh <laughs> try for Fiji, number eight, big, Bill Mata, and nobody cheered. <laughs> so there's 67,500 people going, why is he getting excited about Fiji? But Tommy Seymour scored a hat-trick. Mm-hmm. And I said, and third try for Scotland, number 14, Tommy Seymour, the beers are on Tommy. And I got a row mm-hmm. for saying the beers are on Tommy, uh, which I was a bit sad about. But yeah. the, the Edinburgh stuff, like, I, you know, somebody's spending 10 minutes on the naughty step or and then I got a bit of kudos from some of the media guys because there was a TMO decision and mm-hmm. I always have a chat with the fourth and fifth officials and I'll say to them, what question is he asked? Mm-hmm. So I announced that 
referee is asking try or no try or whatever it was. And the media guys were, uh, Andy McGeady tweeted that great to have a stadium announcer who understands the game and keeps the crowd informed. So I was like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> uh, so I like, and you know, I, I get on folks' nerves. Uh, there's, there's people that probably roll their eyes uh, when I, when I was, Announcing to an empty stadium, Doogie Vipond gets a bit upset because he thinks I turn it up as soon as the TV coverage starts. But I did one just there when I, was we were playing. Say, I remember. I remember the one I think you're about to talk about as well when Jim was going after it on Premier Sport. Oh no, they 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 ripping all the time. I get. I had an email for Rory Lawson saying, "Can you please shut up?" Uh, <laughs> but I I was when I did Ulster just in the la the last game there when uh, mm. Madigan kicked the kicked the winner, but when Edinburgh scored and then Blair was lining up the conversion. He misses the conversion, so it's 31 all. And there, I mean, there's 50 people in the stadium, but I did the announcement of uh, unsuccessful conversion for Edinburgh, and it's Edinburgh 31, Ulster 31. <laughs> and I got this big laugh, and one of my heroes, Ian Rankin, that I coached with at Dundee, he turned around and just gave me a laugh and a big thumbs up because I, I just I just like to muck about, and, I, and I'm lucky that I get to do it with a microphone in my hand, and I can't wait to get into the stadium. And Edinburgh have been really kind to me and, and giving me chances, so they then started to do hospitality which they hadn't done so for i was doing hospitality so before the game i was interviewing people on the stage and i was doing and then sometime i wasn't always i then lost the announcing bit which i was sad about but then i started to pick that back up again just doing between the whistles again mm -hmm. so and then i've, I've doddy weir who you know we all love and and i love him to bits and mm -hmm. doddy's known me for a long time because of where our families are from and uh when doddy was beginning to uh decide he was going to wind down he was host of the thistle suite at scottish internationals and the thistle mm -hmm. suite can have over 500 people in it and in discussion with uh, James Nicholson, who was then head of hospitality and has now moved to Australia, uh, they were looking for somebody to take over from Doddy. And they went through this person, this person. But obviously, the bigger the name is, the more in demand they are of things like TV and radio. And uh, I then got a message for James saying, can we have a chat? after an mm -hmm. Edinburgh game and he'd seen some of the stuff I'd done at Edinburgh games so I met Jim and he said listen here's the story but you'll know what it's like I was like I've not been to hospitality mm -hmm. so I got invited to the hospitality for the Fiji game that I announced that and got to see what Doddy did and I'm just sitting there thinking you want me to do this like are you kidding me on this is Doddy Weir's show so mm -hmm. the way it worked was Doddy and I did it together and I was just Doddy's like he just took the mick and but we had a brilliant laugh and he was so kind to me and we did so much together and we interviewed people we both got in trouble actually uh i had we had xander fagerson and i forget who the other squad member was but the week before matt fagerson had lasted 20 minutes against fiji and gone off injured mm -hmm. and the following week against i don't know south africa we had Xander and another player but I forget who it was on stage before the game so we've got 500 people there for hospitality and Doddy and I on stage with two Scotland or Scotland squad members so I said Xander so your brother lasted 20 minutes last week for Fiji and you've got a big moon boot on are all the Fagerson soft 
And the place <laughs> laughed, and Xander was like, oh, no, my sister's quite hard, and we just had a bit of crack about it. And, mm -hmm. and then Doddy turned, and I wish I could remember who it was, but Doddy turned to somebody else and went, so why are you not on the squad? Is it because you're not very good? And, of course, the whole place just <laughs> laughed. So, But then the two of us got in trouble, um, and now we have to just be not careful, but we just need to maybe be a little bit more respectful to the yeah. to the players. But we then Doddy... Uh, Doddy then had his last game against Wales in the Six Nations and we had a big send-off for him, which was an amazing thing to be part of. And then it kind of it, it, it kind of became mine. Um, mm -hmm. And that's... I, I feel very, very honoured and privileged to do it. I've met some amazing people with Brian Habana and uh, young Johnny Beatty, who is a class act. And, uh, you know, just... I've met lots of good people and and one of the things that makes me pinch myself a wee bit when I come off stage or, you know, I was, I was Doddy's photographer. People would come and want their picture taken with Doddy and I would get the phone mm -hmm. and I would take a picture. And then these uh, people have come up to me and said, can I, can I get a picture? And I was like, yeah, yeah wh who were? And they're like, no, are you like, you're <laughs> like, your happiness is egg shaped. And like, eh, yeah. But why do you want like, what's that? But yeah. it's, if it means something to them, then that's that's cool, and I'm happy with that. And while it feels uncomfortable, and it's, I'm not sure who they're showing that picture to, but but go for it. Um, <laughs> and that's, you know, a bit like I was saying before, when you meet somebody, that's the only little bit of snapshot they're getting of you. And yeah. I kind of want, I kind of want them to leave with a with a decent impression. Um, selfishly for my own bit but also hopefully they've left feeling a, bit, a little bit better for themselves as well no i think i backed it yeah exactly that what you said i mean doddy was um doddy was the guest speaker at my last rugby dinner i was at all those years ago it must be about five plus years ago now and i remember and it was like you said it, it was the doddy we were short like you could have heard a pin drop because everybody's like, it's like all the forks went down, all the cups went down. Nobody went to the bar. It was, you sit and listen to Doddy for an hour. And I thought like, it, it was amazing. He never, he didn't know a single person in the room and he had a joke for each one of the people and he just went through them. And I think it was like, he managed, he managed to say something that you'd forgotten about yourself. It was that funny. He's, he's just, the, the thing that I, th I think people have forgotten is that Doddy was a really, really good rugby player yeah. because he's now become just, He's become Doddy Weir. He's become this persona, uh, rightly through a lot. Of, but people, I think that there are people who never knew Doddy Weir as a rugby player because they're too. They don't remember the '97 Lions. They don't remember Doddy playing for Newcastle or, you know, playing for Scotland. They don't remember that. Doddy was a hell of a good rugby player. So he's got. He's you know he'll tell you if you spend long enough with him he'll tell you he scored two tries against the All Blacks but they <laughs> you know I kind of tell those stories but Doddy is able to tell them without an ego without a look at me everybody they're they're almost mm. matter of fact but he likes to bring them up every now and then and you know he would take the Mickey out of me for never having done anything which is absolutely true but he doesn't do it he's not having a pop it's just part of. Doddy's teasing and it's actually probably a sign of not necessarily respect but he would like I say this sometimes to people I only make fun of people I like yeah exactly because, Everybody, because otherwise yeah. otherwise it feels like you're being nasty whereas if you make fun of people you you know hopefully you can take it back mm -hmm. as well and Doddy we we just had some brilliant moments uh 
moments when we weren't in the room with the 500 people moments where you know it, it was just nice to be with somebody like that not necessarily doddy weir just with a nice guy who made me feel better and mm-hmm. made me a better host and and speaker and and probably a bit non i don't know maybe more compassionate but more understanding and a man of immense pride and determination and uh you know i, I love the guy very much and I, I know he's i played rugby with his other brother his younger brother tom mm-hmm. and i've known chris since he was a kid and kirsty his sister is you know just off her nut uh crazy but fabulous uh just just great people and they leave the people they're with in a better place. Oh no, well, he's um he's an inspiration behind the first question. No, the first question went, "How are you?" Because I remember it was at the same club dinner. He was like, "Oh, how are you getting on?" And I was like, "Oh, this is that we lost today. We did this. We did." Where he went, I didn't ask you about the game. I asked, yeah. "How are you?" And it was yeah. straight away, and it was something like that. Yeah, he's and Doddy, the the. Oh, I could talk about Doddy Weir for a for a whole podcast, but Doddy, mm-hmm. when people wanted a photo, he asked their name, where are you from? He then mm-hmm. probably sometimes made up that he knew somebody for there, or <laughs> or he'd been there before, or he remember. Like he he had a little moment that a bit like you're saying, when people left, they'd had more than just a selfie with Doddy Weir, mm-hmm. and that's probably one of the difficult things for people like Doddy because everybody knows Doddy Weir. Doddy Weir doesn't necessarily know everybody. But mm-hmm. when he's spoken to you, he gives you the impression that he did and he took time to, like, you, how are you? Not mm-hmm. not how's the thing that's revolving around you, but just how are you? And mm-hmm. where are you from? And, you know, he leaves you a smile and there's a wee joke and <laughs> he'll, he'll have a pop at almost anything uh, as well as himself and that's another thing that endears him to people because he's willing to have a chuckle at himself oh exactly right bruce i like you just said i could talk to you for hours i'm definitely <laughs> gonna get you i'm definitely gonna get you for a second podcast but in in true spirit of me in my new podcast i've taken the title and completely fucked it off i've just got over 80 minutes so i'm gonna ask you with the final question i've been asking everybody You've just had a big victory. You've won your second game for Hong Kong. <laughs> You've now got Stow have just won the World Cup in some yes. true performance with the elite of the elite. You're on the team bus. Somebody's told you there's a night out on the cards. You've got three cheesy pop songs to get the bus ready for a night out. What three songs are you going with and why? Uh, th- this was tough. Uh, talking to Stow, I remember we did a pre-season game down in Dumfries and it was at the time of... Uh, the day we caught the train by what are they called again? Ocean Color Scene, and mm-hmm. that was just that just got played on repeat. That that was messy but fun. Uh, right, so I love Drops of Jupiter by Train, I, but Great that's that, that's a solo for me. No, no, that's not that didn't make it in the top three, oh, but that not, was a no. contender. Yeah, I love I'll Piano Man. Piano Man is is just beautiful. The Gambler is so close to being in because mm. one of the best renditions the gambler ever saw was Neil Dimmock, a prop for Dundee, who did it after we won the league at Murrayfield Wanderers. And it was just, oh, that's a lie. It was Mandy, Mandy. And then the gambler came back. I think it was Kenny Blythe. Brilliant mm. song. Love the gambler. So because I like a sing song, 
I like mm-hmm. people to engage. Now, we, you were talking to me. I think you meant sort of pop songs. So the the first one I went with was Wonderwall. Any song will do. Any song. Wonderwall, because I like that that can last for a long time, and you can repeat and you can keep it going. And most people know most of the words. So as you get to the end, we can have said maybe <laughs> you're gonna be the one that's, and that can just go on forever and ever. So I'd start with Wonderwall to get everybody in and then because i love doogie vipond and i'm totally biased and i've got my uh oh that shoulder i've got my mm-hmm. deacon blue uh signed over here uh i would go with dignity because we're in scotland and why wouldn't you so Absolutely. that that song. gets that gets people <laughs> going and then i chewed over this one for a while but i thought no hibs <laughs> hibs won Hibs won the Scottish Cup. Um, in Hong Kong, this used to go off. If oh. people knew you were Scottish, they would play this. So mm-hmm. I think it has to be 500 miles by the Proclaimers. Brilliant. I've, I've got a quick... Is that, that was, those are the three best songs we've had so far. They're phenomenal. Jo- George came in with some belters because he brought back like old childhood memories of school discos, but that was phenomenal. No, uh, I th- it has to be... It has to be things people can sing to and join mm. in with and i love when a rugby bus sings it's yeah it's another one of those moments that you you can't put a price on when people say how do you sell the game it's very difficult to quantify and put a price on how good the changing room feels and how good a rugby bus song is Oh no, I was I was talking to um, Tom Lindsay about this, and I said we were discussing it, and I said my least favorite part about rugby was the eighty minutes of playing because yeah. it stopped you having fun because you were too busy trying to win a game of rugby. Yeah, and there there were days where you you wanted the whistle, and there were days mm-hmm. I can there's games I've played and coached that I wish were still going, but you know the the game was then analysed through the most rose-tinted spectacles for however long afterwards and in the clubhouse where, you know, that thing that does the rounds on social media every now and then, no great story ever started with. So we were having a salad. Yeah. You know, the, <laughs> the, the stories that started in a clubhouse and the stories that started on a bus, and I'm not talking the, the ridiculous things and the, you know, having to pour people off. I'm talking those proper moments that you share with people that you're bundled together with for those moments and you sing a song in not in harmony but you get what i mean all at the same time and the the belly laugh moments yeah and the the feeling the feeling you get i think that's what people miss when people when you hear about retired sports people i'm not sure it is the competition or the medals or the winning i think it's days spent at training afterwards having a pint having a cup of coffee meeting up with them what happens in the changing room what happens on the those are the those are the bits i would i would pay for no absolutely i'd take i'd go i would take a cold wet thursday afternoon and walk about any day just for the (laughs) stories you see the work is coming and you oh i'd live for those moments when I played football for Stow, we I remember when we would play against Eyemouth and uh, the team could be completely different because they were all out in their fishing boats or the kickoff was delayed while we waited for the fishing boat to come in because they were still missing three <laughs> players. And those were, you know, playing amateur football, playing amateur sport anywhere is such a great collection of humanity. No, it is. 
right, Bruce, I'm going to have to stop because otherwise I'm going to find another topic. So I want to, I want to talk about Hibs. I want to talk about Scottish Cup. I want to talk about musicals. I'm just giving away teasers for the epi- second episode now, but because right, Bruce Aitchison, where can they find you on social media? What's the podcast? Because right, this is the last bit I'm going to say. I'm going to look directly in my camera. I'm not even looking at Bruce anymore. If you've enjoyed this podcast this isn't even half as good as the stuff bruce talks about on his so you've got to go and find happiness is a podcast and that's the one that is the one where we bruce give him all the socials tell him where to find you ah uh, you're a gentleman ah uh, they'll find me happy egg shaped on twitter kind of on instagram but i still don't really get it because i'm not down with the kids yet facebook's <laughs> probably home uh happiness is egg shaped and then the podcast, yeah, it's Happiness Is podcast on all the places you get podcasts and you can subscribe on YouTube and watch the video too, although I don't know if you want me in your ears or your eyes, but there's there's a chance for both. <laughs> Quick advice, listen to the Jim Hamilton episode and wait for the story about Alan Jacobson. I yeah. I almost got sacked. I laughed that hard in my office that day. Chunk, uh, chunk fed my boiler. Uh, yeah, some boy. He's he is some boy chunk. He is unique. He's a hero. Right, everybody, thank you for watching. Make sure you comment down below. Make sure you like, follow us on Apple, Spotify, everything that's there. Leave a like rating. That's the one that gets us really far. I'll get people in Honduras listening to my podcast. <laughs> I got somebody in Germany today on day one, and I went, I don't know a single German person, so that's impressive. Right. Anyway, usual caveat, any constructive criticism is always welcome. If you're just going to be mean, make it funny, and then at least I get some retweets that way. And that's how we live. Stay safe. As, as me and Bruce discussed, go and make somebody smile. Just make somebody's day. Right? Stay safe. Bruce, say cheerio. Nice one. Happiness egg shape, right. folks. Thank you. Exactly. Cheerio. Thanks, Stay Sam. safe. Bye.